At this point, I'll invite you to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. No, I'm wrong there. Chapter 14, verse 15 is where we're going to start. But we're going through a series through the Apostles' Creed, and it's called the Apostles' Creed not because it was written directly by one of the apostles, but because it is one of the earliest collected statements of faith of the church in the generation immediately following the apostles, that those who were able to sit under their teaching and preaching and hear their messages provided for believers a very, very early statement of faith of this is what it means to be a Christian. These are the things that all Christians of all backgrounds believe in about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so for some churches, for many churches, it's a practice to actually recite this creed every Sunday or at least every time that they partake in the Lord's table or communion together. And so we are going through this series as a church family. And one of the ways to think of the importance of it as it relates to our faith in, in American literature, one of the more famous poems of Robert Frost is uh, when he's off in the woods and he sees two paths diverge in the wood and he says he takes the road less traveled and that's you know, made all the difference. And that's sort of an iconic poem in American literature about being willing to go the way that no one else has gone before and chart a new course or a path uh, as a way of discovery of what's out there. It, it, that's a different image, though, than what we have in Psalm 23. Where in, in Psalm 23, when it tells us that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, the word for path there is a well-worn path, a path that you know other people have gone down before. And he leads us in those paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That there are situations where we are overwhelmed or we're scared by the unknown and it is really helpful when we realize that someone else has walked this road before. And though I don't know what's at the other end of it, I, I see a way to go. I see how to take the next step and walk this path because someone else has lived this life before me. Someone else got stuck in this valley and they needed a way out and this is how they found it. And I can walk that path too. And when it comes to our faith, as we read the scriptures of documents that are thousands of years old, and we find that somehow they speak to our hearts right here and right now, it is an extra blessing and an extra encouragement to us when exactly what we needed right now for what is in front of us, we discover is exactly what our ancestors needed when they were going through trial and their ancestors before them. That God knows all of us. He created us. And while we do have challenges that are unique in our day and age, there's an aspect of our humanity that is consistent from the time that we've been on this planet. So we need the wisdom of people before us who've gone through really hard things before us and have found life-giving truth to share with us. Here's Jesus trying to prepare in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, his disciples for the fact that he is going to leave them. We talked about last week that he ascended into heaven. And here's what Jesus tried to tell his disciples before that would happen so that they wouldn't get too anxious. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the world The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I will give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you've loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. These words are some of the final words that Jesus shared with his disciples before he would go on the cross and die for them. So he's preparing them for knowing what is going to be an event in their life that shakes all of them to the core. He's trying to give them words of assurance before it happens. And then only afterwards and seeing him rise victorious do they then understand what he was trying to tell them all along? In fact, if you keep reading in chapter 15 and 16, he says to them, you actually can't bear this now. And it's, it's only gonna be after a few things happen that some of this will begin to make sense to you in looking back. But he knows them well. He knows how much they can handle and he knows that they can only take so much in. But now what we're reading is John's recording of these events years later to tell the world of Christ's love for them to prepare them for this moment. But one of the things that he tells to them is that he is going to send another helper. In his departure, in his ascension back to the throne, back to the right hand of the Father, he is going to send to them another helper. Sometimes when we hear the word helper, we think of it in a negative way, of someone who's role and responsibility is just an assistant or just an intern who's kind of like a gopher. They just, they do whatever is told and we miss out on the encouragement that this is supposed to be. Because when we think of someone as lesser than us and they're helping us, even when they help us, we just kind of have this impression of, well, that's just what you're supposed to do. That's your job, to go and get that and to go and do that. But when we realize that someone helping us has nothing to do with their status or their level of importance or equality with us. Uh, In fact, when there's a person 
in a position of more authority than us and we find out they're willing to help us, we're, we're completely humbled by it. So if you're applying for a job at a place and you happen to know the owner of the company and that owner, she says, I'm gonna help you. You're like, you are? Help means a totally different thing. She's going to do something for you. She's gonna put a good word in for your name. She's gonna make sure your resume gets to the right place. But in her offering to help, it has nothing to do with her status or your status. And in reality, in that scenario, you're not yet in. She's in. She calls the shots. If she offers to help you, you're humbled by that. You, you would do something for me. It gives you this confidence to move forward. And as Jesus is saying that he's going to send another helper He's not sending a, a servant that just is going to tag along, that just has to do whatever needs to be done. This is a powerful person who's coming, who in graciousness and love is willing to help. But it's such good news because of who this person is. And sometimes we, we make that same mistake back in Genesis when we read about uh, Adam being alone and God saying he's going to make a helper for him. Um, in Genesis 1, as God created man and woman, he said to both of them, now you, I've made you in my image and you have dominion over the earth and you're supposed to together both multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's a charge that he gives to both men and women. And so in Genesis 2, when he says to Adam that a helper is gonna be made for you, he's, he's not talking about anything to do with equality or a lack of equality. Uh, he's saying this is gonna be now a new relationship in which not men and women are supposed to be independent from each other, but that they're interdependent upon one another so that forever from this day forward, they know that together they will carry out God's purpose in the world. And so when someone in the example of applying for a job and an owner having it to you, or even just one of your peers who offers to help you at something, you immediately know when they offer to help you and they don't have to, that they're doing it out of a kindness and a graciousness that comes. And what Jesus is trying to assure his disciples in as he is about to leave from them is that another helper is going to come. That his absence will mean the presence of another who is powerful and mighty. Disciples had seen the power of Jesus. They'd seen him calm the storm. They'd seen him heal people. He's assuring them that in his absence, someone just as great, someone just as powerful would be with them. In verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. And then later on, I will give you my peace. And so this power, this presence, this peace, all of that is tied to who this helper is. Then he specifically uh, describes him as the Holy Spirit in verse 26. But the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And from here on out, most often when we refer to this Spirit, we refer to the Spirit as the Holy Spirit, which challenges my own heart that oftentimes when I do think about the Spirit, I can think about the Spirit more often than not in terms of the power that the Spirit might enable to do miraculous things rather than 
the helper who's here to make me more holy. He's the Holy Spirit. He has been sent by the Father and the Son into the world to help you and I become better people from the inside out. Not sent to help us shortcut the growth process. Not sent to come and help us cheat on the exam and so now we don't have to do the work. But a helper coming alongside, ensuring that all that God desires for us in our growth and in our maturity becomes realized. And so I have to ask myself the question, how much do I really want to become more holy? The earlier he's referred to as the helper, the spirit of truth. How much do I want to be told the truth about myself and the areas of struggle that I have and to accept the help that's offered in becoming better and stronger, wiser over time? It's not this just vague power or force that's meant to enable us to do things. Like, you know, we, if you've got a smartphone and now you have this tool that allows you to do all these things, but it doesn't really matter what you do with them. Like, no, 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 he's the Holy Spirit. So if you want to use him to do the wrong thing, it doesn't work. And so I just wondered, how much of my own life do I not have a more palpable sense of the Spirit working in and through me? Because I'm not desiring for him to do within me the things that he's been sent to do? Am I praying to sin less and less over time? To make less mistakes, to be more loving and kind when it's needed? Now some of you will, as you're hearing this and say, this is weird to think and talk about a spirit, right? This is 2019. Uh, we, we know so many things about the way the world works, the, the tangible things. And, and you're asking us to believe, maybe I could believe in Jesus when he was physically here and he was talking to his disciples, but now he's gone and there's a spirit that's present in the world. Uh, and I was just blessed as I was thinking through the week, the fact that this message is coming on Mother's Day. Some of you will at times share with me that it feels like a particular message was appropriate for you on the specific day that it was given. And it's always an encouragement to me because actually for the last four years now, I have written down on the date what the passage will be and sent it to the elders to say, here's 2016, here's 2017, here's, and planned it out. So today's passage was decided a long time ago. It had nothing to do with whether it would fall on Mother's Day. And actually this year it fell on Mother's Day because we had a snowstorm once that canceled service. And so we had to adjust. Um, but for me, it becomes a way of watching how God works, where without any specific plan or intention, what someone needed at an exact moment in time was given to them. Now, I don't assume that that happens to a lot of you. <laughs> what I'm saying is, when it does happen, I know it had nothing to do with me just trying to figure out, what does this person need right now? because I can look back and say that was a decision made a long time ago when neither of us were going through what we now realize we're actually going through to know that we would even need this. But for me, the beauty of Mother's Day and talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, because I just know even as a father, if I were to tell you that I love being a father, I really do. And it's probably one of the most important things about me. 
but it's not something you can measure in any way. If you only look at the externals and you're like, okay, you're 5'10", you lost your hair a long time ago, you're this much fat, like you, there's a way to just physically assess who I am and how I'm doing. But if I were to say to you, if you really want to get to know me, like I really, I have this love for my kids that is probably one of the most important things about me, but I can't see it. No, you can't see it. Hopefully, indirectly, you see it in ways I do things and in ways I, I treat them, and then the love that I have for other people. But if you were to come to me and say, it's not real because I can't see it, are you kidding me? And then I, I do believe that there's a depth of that love that is still deeper in the love that I've seen of mothers to children. Uh, I was at an event this past week where a husband and a wife were sharing together. It was at the IX Center. It was called the Cleveland Leadership Prayer Breakfast. And uh, there's usually just once a year a gathering of a prayer for uh, the president and the administration, a prayer for local mayors and city officials and police and fire. And then often a couple is given an opportunity to share a testimony. So it's about a thousand people up at the IX Center, uh, all dressed up to go to work as soon as this thing is done. Uh, but the husband and wife who shared had uh, three kids and they lost two of them, um, one at the age of 17 and one at the age of 21. And you could still see, though almost removed by at least five to 10 years, there was just a completely different way in which the mother was recounting this that was totally different than the way the father was recounting it. I believe they both loved him. I believe they both cared about him and everything they were both saying was true. She was still shaking the whole time she said it. And if you were to ask, the love that you have, do you ever feel like you would be able to adequately put it to words? Like, no, I could probably never adequately put it to words. And if you've ever experienced the grief of loss, do you think you could ever put that grief to words? No, you could never put that grief to words. The, it's as real as it gets. You don't see it, but it affects absolutely everything about you. Jesus is saying to his followers, I'm leaving, but I am not leaving you as orphans. There is another one who's gonna come. And what we read later, I had it written as Acts chapter two, but we're actually gonna go to Romans chapter five. This is the description of what the Holy Spirit does when he comes into our world. Romans chapter five, verses one through five on page 886 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The same reality, this thing that is true about us, but we can't measure it in the way we can measure other things. But God's love has been poured through the Spirit into our hearts. And the word here is not just a, if you will, in, in the image of rain, it's not just a sprinkle. It is like a downpour. 
It's a downpour so much that if you come the next day and it's not raining anymore, you can still tell that it rained the day before. Like there's so much sitting water that you know something happened the day before. That's the image, this extravagant outpouring of love from the Holy Spirit into human hearts. So how do you see the Spirit in our world today? You see it in men and women all over the place who from the inside out are genuinely loving other people, genuinely caring for them, willing to make sacrifices to themselves in order for other people to be better. When you see people living in love and joy and peace and patience and self-control and gentleness, you're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in our world having been poured out by the Father as a promise that the Son made. And in his love for us being poured out into us so that we would interact with the world in that way, not just so that we could love other people, but in knowing how much we are loved, we would find that greater strength and ability to love others. I mean, so much so that now turn to Ephesians chapter three. This is what Paul describes his wish for all of the believers that if, if they could just know something, that they would be able to know this. And so I think of this in a parental role. And here, um, just to make the point, Paul is not a biological parent of anyone he's talking about. So this is just, this is love that you have for another, whether you are a mother or not. Just as a person who loves other people. And you love them so deeply, you know you could never say it, but you would just long for them to know it. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and on. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. What a beautiful desire for Paul. I just, I'm pleading with God that you as the children of our heavenly father would know more and more how loved you are. And so that human longing to experience an, an overflow of love for people that we know we have no words for. And sometimes, sadly, in moments of tragedy is when it really hits home that we, we just can't express what we're feeling because of how deep that love is. That we would realize that is a picture of the love that God has for us. He loves us more than we love each other. He loves our kids more than we love them. And his longing is that we would know that love. And so this 
helper who comes as the Holy Spirit confirms in us the loving God that we have. And so he's wanting to help us express that love, experience that love. So I found this a helpful quote in the book Knowing God as he talks about the love of God. He says, God saves not only for his glory, but also for his gladness. This goes far to explain why there is joy in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents and why there will be exceeding joy when God sets us faultless at the last day in his own presence, according to Jude 24. The thought passes understanding and almost begs belief, but there is no doubt that according to Scripture, such is the love of God. Then he goes on to say, the measure of love is how much it gives. And the measure of the love of God is the gift of his only son to become human and to die for sins and to so become the one mediator who can bring us to God. And then to pour out his spirit into our hearts to work on us from the inside out so that we can experience and express that love. And then the measure of our love towards others will be in how much we give. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the generous outpouring of your spirit in this world. For the ways that we see it at work and the things that we experience and feel that we can't quite see and measure directly. But we, that we know is the truth of who we are, that is at the core of our personality and being. So we do confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the goodness of you sending the Spirit into our world, into human hearts, to make your home with us helping us to be better, working out truth and goodness and beauty in our hearts, enabling us to love other people in ways that transcend our normal categories. We thank you for the ways that we have been loved by others. We also, we acknowledge the grief that comes in our love when we feel separation from those we love or when there's conflict with those that we love. And so we just pray that you would continue to give us what we need. Continue to pour out your love in our hearts. That people would see the fruit of what you desire. That they would see that it's poured down from heaven upon us. That we are flooded with your generosity and love to enable us to love others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.